Well, I by no means would call myself a, uh, a car expert uh, when it comes to working on cars of any kind. Uh, but, you know, nowadays with the dashboards, you have all of these warning sign notifications that pop up that tend to make me feel like I can do a little something when it comes to the car. Nothing major, but the simple things, right? When it says uh, tire pressure warning, I can take my car and fill up the tire or fill up the tire, put air in the tire, and that will solve that problem, right? I, if it says low fuel or low battery in my case, uh, when that warning light pops on, then I can fill up the tank or I can charge my car up. When it says low washer fluid, then I can pop that top under the hood and I can fill it up with some washer fluid, solves the problem. It makes me feel like I can do something with a car. The other week I had uh, this, this, this new one pop on my car, but it, it lit up the whole entire car. And it basically said, uh, stop, because you are about to rear end somebody. It's this forward collision warning that it has. And so simple thing to do, just stop and solve the car problem. But then there's another little light that comes on my dashboard every once in a while. Uh, not too often, but it's a, a check engine light. Check engine light is uh, above my pay grade. At that point in time, I, I need what is called an, an intervention because I need somebody to step in that's more qualified that, uh, that can do that job. Because, look, I don't have the capability to fix that problem without messing it up more than it already is. Uh, you and I, last week, we studied Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, uh, and we studied the fact that we all have a big problem. We have a huge problem. As human, as human beings, we're all depraved, and we have a big problem that you and I do not have the capability or the qualifications to fix. We need divine intervention. We need someone that is more qualified. We need someone that is far above us to step in and help. We need divine intervention. We need God to step in and be the solution for this big problem that you and I have. And God has done that. By grace, he has done that. He has done exactly what we need to solve the big problem that we have if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Problem solved, there's been divine intervention. If you and I want to have the right understanding of the gospel, we as Christians need to remember what we talked about last week and who we are. Who we are apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins, right? children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have a big problem. But then as we study our passage today, we understand God's intervention, how he stepped in, how he and he alone solved the problem for us. Right? We get an understanding of what he's done and why he did it. And we have to have the right understanding of that in our gospel message because otherwise our tendency, our fleshly tendency is to think that we had something to do with it. If we don't think about that enough, we can have the right gospel one day and then if we're not, we're not really examining our own hearts and thinking about the gospel and thinking about God's grace and his mercy towards us, then we start to think, you know what, I'm not that bad after all, right? God probably needed me a little bit. He, he gave me a little something, so he probably used a little bit of what I had. We had that tendency to be, be pulled towards it has something about us. Because ultimately, we all want to be the star of our own life. We all want to feel like we made the decisions. We all want to feel like we had something to do. We set the plan. We set the criteria. We had, 
But we need to understand, he had nothing to do with it. But only God. If you didn't realize it already, everyone in this room has a unique opportunity coming up this, this coming week. Matter of fact, the next month. Because it's a season of thanksgiving that we go through. And oftentimes people ask, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And instead of just rattling off, you know, something that you, you probably are thankful for, I want you to think about this open door opportunity you have for the gospel. When people say, what are you thankful for? You can tell them you're thankful for the biggest and greatest and most amazing blessing that you have in your life, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about him. But you must have the right understanding of the gospel. You must have the right understanding of your role in a story versus God's role. And if you have the right understanding as you're sharing your testimony, it's a great opportunity to present the gospel and the need that everyone has for the gospel by you just sharing your story of what you're thankful for. And so we'll get into that a little bit today, but as we continue through this gospel message that Paul gives us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, um, I want to focus on what God has done and why he did it so that when you examine your own salvation, when you think about that, when you present it to someone else, when you share the gospel with someone else, you have everything in the right order. You have God as the prominent figure. You have God as the centerpiece of your presentation of your examination of the gospel message. And so let's do that. Let's go ahead and open up to Ephesians 2. We're going to spend our time in verses 4 through 7 this morning. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. And right now, Paul in, is, again, in the middle of this gospel message that he's presenting in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I, I mentioned this before, but he has these long sentences, right? He gave us, I think, two long sentences in chapter 1. And, again, this is the end, the conclusion of another long sentence. He starts it in verse 1, and then he ends it in verse 7. Well, we are, we'll end our time this morning. But this is all one sentence. Again, Paul is just rattling off how grateful he is and all that God has done. We're going to jump in here right in the middle. Verse 4. My Two favorite words of, of, in, in all scripture. Here we go. But God. But God. I mean, that could be a sermon in itself right there alone, right? It could be a whole series. But God. And that but is a strong contrast. It's a strong contrast from what we were just talking about. What we were just talking about in, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is how bad off you and I are apart from Christ. What we deserve apart from Christ. So he's telling us the bad news, what we talked about last week, and then he comes to verse 4 and he says, but God. That means you did all of this, you messed up enough, now let me tell you what God did. And then he's going to have that contrast there, and then he says, but God. God is the subject. God is the whole entire sentence, that whole lead up, verses 1 through 3, he's talking about God. He hasn't mentioned the subject yet, but that's just all the buildup, all the buildup till we get to verse 4 right here, because here is the centerpiece, God. But, strong contrast, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about verses 4 through 6 to start. Again, but God, you get that strong contrast. You get the, the subject of this entire section is God. It's not about our, 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 our plight that we were in. It's not about how bad off we are. It's all about God. That is the subject that he's talking about. And then he gets to the, the, the main verb once he describes God and his character a little bit. God has mercy. God has agape love, great love uh, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. That, right? That's where we were. He loved us even though, even though that was the case. And then he gets to the main verb. Here's what God did for us. He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. Not God and, and some of you and we, we, we had a meeting and a huddle and we decided this is best for, uh, no, God made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. Right? In this section right here, it's like a parenthetical phrase. He's, he's saying, hey, hey, hold that, by grace you have been saved. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself thinking like, oh, this is a, by grace you have been saved. He uses that word grace 12 times in the book of Ephesians. Right, 12 times. He can't get enough of God's grace. He can't get enough of explaining that. And so he mentions it, and then he's going to elaborate on that as we get into uh, our, our next study together, in ver- starting in verse 8. By grace you have been saved. Just hold that. Then he says, and raises us up with him, and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I get if you're reading verses 5 and 6, that's, it can make you think, whoa, whoa, what are we talking about here? Right, what do you mean he, he's raised us up and he's seated us in the heavenly places? Because right now, I, I, I'm here on earth. I don't, I don't really understand that. Here, here's how we can understand that. Because when he says he's raised us up and he's seated us in the heavenly places, right now, with Christ Jesus, we need to understand sanctification. And most of the time when we say sanctification, uh, you and I get an understanding of sanctification. We look at one aspect. But actually, there's three phases of sanctification. And if we understand these three phases of sanctification, it gives us better context and understanding of how we can be seated in the heavenly places, but yet our physical body is here on earth. So let me, let me talk through those three phases of sanctification. Phase number one is positional sanctification. Positional. We normally don't break it out, but here's the breakout of sanctification, positional sanctification. I'll tell you about that. Progressive sanctification. That's typically the sanctification. When you use that word, you're talking about progressive sanctification. And then the last one is final sanctification. Final sanctification. Positional sanctification. When we look at verses 5 and 6, here, here's what we're talking about. If you have an understanding of positional sanctification, then this part of the passage makes sense to you. Because he's not talking about literally we're, we're, we're sitting there because we're not, right? We're not. Spiritually, we are. Positional sanctification is our spiritual position before God. Our spiritual position before God. So once we become a new creation in Christ, once we go from dark to light, from death to life, at that moment of salvation, we then positionally, before God's eyes, are are changed. We're changed forever. We become enemies of God and we become part of God's family. So positionally, we've changed. Our spiritual state has changed before God. And that's why Paul can say in Colossians 3, set your 
your mind on things above, where Christ is. And Paul is constantly setting his mind on things above. Again, he's there on earth at the time, but his mind is focused on Christ. His mind is focused on eternal things, just like your, yours and eyes are in yours and eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yours and my um, focus should be on eternal things, right? And so that positional change has happened at the point of salvation. Right? We become set apart. That's what that word sanctified means, right? We're set apart. We're no longer of the, the flesh. We're no longer of earthly people. We are now set apart positionally. Right? That's, number, that's number one, positional sanctification. Then you get into progressive sanctification. So this is when you and I say our sanctification, we're becoming more and more and more like Christ each and every day. We're maturing in our faith. We are more sanctified than we were when we were new believers now because uh, over the period of time, God has grown us, right? He's progressively sanctified us and made us more like Christ and less like the world. Positional sanctification, one, that's a one-time change. Progressive sanctification happens for the rest of your Christian life. And then we get to final sanctification. That is where we become perfectly holy. That is after we take our last breath, there's no more holiness that needs to happen. We become like him. We become like Christ where we are fully glorified, fully holy, and there's no more sanctification. We reach our final sanctification. So positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, final sanctification. When you say sanctification, there's more than just being more like Christ. That's how we can understand that passage. That's why Paul can say he's raised us up, right? He's made us alive. He's raised us up and seated us with him. Positionally, spiritually, we are seated with Christ right now in the heavenly realms. Our earthly body is still here, but our, our, our citizenship is now in heaven as Christians. That's why this world doesn't feel like our home because it's not our home anymore. Our home is in heaven because we are positionally sanctified with him. So that should help you understand that a little bit more versus physical presence versus our spiritual presence, where our mind is, where our, where our eternal home is with Christ. But as we look at this passage and, and realize our salvation and being alive together, made alive together with Christ, right, being raised up with Christ, being seated with Christ, uh, there's one person doing all of this for us, one person. Again, it's not a mutual agreement. It's not a, a meeting that we had, a conference or anything like that. It's one person. It's God. God is doing this. And you and I need to understand that. We need to understand that God saving us is 100% his doing. It's 100% his doing. Not 99.9, not, not 98%, 100% God's doing. But God is the only reason that you and I can sit here, if you're a believer, and say that I am saved because it was all him. It was all him. And that's point number one for us this morning. You and I need to understand that God saving you is 100% his doing. 100% his doing. And we can't get that mixed up. When we give uh, credit, all credit to other people, even in our own verbiage, when we say that, when we hear that nowadays, oftentimes it's not, it's not a true statement. We, we can say that to make people feel good. It's like, uh, you know what, um, even I mentioned car problems, right? I, I, I would give all the, all the credit to the mechanic that worked on my car. I, I can say that, but it wasn't all the mechanics work, right? I had to make the decision that I need to go get my car fixed. I had to set the appointment. I had to drive my car in. Otherwise, he would have never worked on my car. So I can say it was all him that did, that, that did the work. But I, I played a little part in that. I did, I did a little to get the car there. 
I love it when athletes, you know, you'll have a quarterback being interviewed at the end of the game, and he's like, all credit goes to my offensive line. Really? Really, dude? You just threw for 400 yards. All credit goes to them? I mean, that ball didn't just get in the air itself. But I I get what he's trying to say. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them because he wouldn't, right? He would have got sacked every single time. But you throw for 400 yards, all credit doesn't go to them. Sometimes you have a work project that you're working on at work, and even if you give an idea, even if you, you didn't play a huge role, you gave an idea to help the project come together and help it, help it actually get to the end result that it got to, um, you, you played a part. Maybe a small part, but you played a part. We all say that. We all say all credit can go somewhere else, but we, we really pay, played a part. When it comes to God saving you, understand this, you did absolutely nothing. Nothing. If anything, you, you made things worse. Every time you touch something, every time you breathe, every time you did something, you made things worse. And by God's grace, he saved you. But you did absolutely nothing. And we have to remind ourselves of that because our default is to think, I helped out a little bit. I like, I like to think pretty highly of myself. I like to think I'm a good guy. I like to think there was a reason that God saved me. We have to remind myself it had nothing to do with us. Only by God's grace, 100% him. And two passages that we get in Scripture to remind ourselves of this, of our plight apart from God. One is Jeremiah 17.9. Jot that down. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Right? And so apart from God, we, 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 we can't even think about righteous things. Our heart is deceitful. Our heart is, is sick. We can't even think about doing things that are pleasing to God because our heart won't let us do that apart from divine intervention, apart from God starting to draw, draw us near to him. Another passage is Isaiah 64, 6. Our righteous deeds are like polluted garments, filthy rags. On our best day, apart from Jesus, on our best day, that day that you feel like, man, I, I, woo, I feel holy, boy. Today is the day, he said, it's filthy rags, filthy rags on your best day apart from Christ. Filthy rags. But here's what God's intervention is. Romans 5, 18, 19. One more, Romans 5, 18, 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that was our result. That was our result. That was our end. Condemnation, judgment, punishment for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So Adam caused a problem for all of us. But Jesus, by God's grace, gave us a solution for all of us. 100% 100% God, all his doing. The fact that we bring nothing to the table, table, we're, we're stuck with the bad news. But God, but God, because of that, we can have total dependence on him. And we can have eternal life. We can be sanctified. We can be justified because of God's grace and mercy. Every other religion that you look at, even back in Paul's day when he was writing this letter, even now, 
if you ask them about their eternal destination, how they get there, the best that they can give you is, you know, giving it my best shot. I'm trying. What's going to happen to me at the end of this life? Just have to wait and see. God will take it from there. He'll be the judge, right? You talk to a Muslim. They'll say that. I, I, I'm trying. I, I'm, doing, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm praying five times a day. I'm, I'm fasting. I'm doing everything that I can. On that day, I'll just have to see where I land. You talk to a Mormon, right? They, they, they have some, some similarities, so they think, right? Uh, false similarities of uh, comparing what we believe and what they believe. But at the end of the day, they're looking at it from the standpoint of, I'm going to work as hard as I can, and then God will just take me the rest of the way. God will take me the rest of the way. You and I don't have to put ourselves in it at all. Praise God we don't. So you and I can sit here with boldness and know exactly where we're headed because it has zero to do with us. It has zero to do with us and 100% to do with Jesus and what Jesus did. And so we put our faith and trust in him, and we cling on to his life and his life, his perfect life, his resurrection, his ascension, that, 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 that covers us, that atones for us. And when we stand before God, we get seen as Jesus' life as opposed to our wretched life. And that's the grace and the amazing love that we have through Jesus Christ. But God. It's 100% about God and what Jesus, what God did through Jesus for us. And we don't have to wonder what's going to happen at the end of this life because it has nothing to do with us. I mean, just think about that phrase. If you tell somebody walking on the street right now, hey, you know what about this life? It ain't got nothing to do with you. Hey, those are fighting words. Right? They're, what? I worked my whole life for this career and my marriage and my money and all that. What do you mean it's not about me? ain't got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with you. So for the non-Christian that's putting all of their hope and trust in what they think they're building up in their life, you tell them it's nothing to do with them, then they get upset. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to him. If I say, your life ain't got nothing to do with you, you say, praise God it doesn't. I, thank you. Thank you. There's a big difference there. Non-Christians just don't realize it, but as Christians, we fully realize it. it has nothing to do with us, 100% God. But God did this through his attributes, which he shares with us in this passage, just part of some of his attributes that he has. And I want to make sure we have a good understanding of that. And the first one that he tells us is, but God being rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Write that down for letter A. Let's understand what mercy is. One of God's attributes that, 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 that leads to 100% of his work is because he has mercy on us. When I was in high school, I just got my driver's license, and uh, I was driving home. And so I'm driving home. I'm, I'm close to home, and I was about to get over into the other lane. And you know what? I thought putting on your turn signal was, was optional. I, I need to get over to that lane. I'll just get over in that lane. And so I, I, I start to drift over into that lane, and all of a sudden, I, I, I hear a honk. And it was like a, a, a unique honk. It was strong. That, I'm like, what? what in the world? You know when you're doing something wrong sometimes and people honk at you, you get mad at first, like you didn't do something. I'm like, who is this honk? What are they honking at? And I look, and it's a police officer. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, 
I was already over in the lane. I put my turn signal on and kind of waved at him and say thank you. He pulled me over. Um, <laughs> he put the lights on. He pulled me over. So he comes to the car, and he was like, did you, you realize that you were trying to get over, and you almost caused an accident with me, and you didn't use your turn signal? I could give you a citation for that. You realize that, right? Yes, sir. Uh, let me see your license. It says here you're supposed to have corrective lenses on. I don't see any glasses on your face. You got contacts in? Nope. Um, wow, that'd be a pretty hefty ticket. Um, you, you got money to pay for all this? No, sir. Um, and I can just think in my mind, I'm, I'm dead. When I, speaking of dead and trespass, when I get home, I'm dead. I'm dead. Um, but then he probably realized that, you know, I'm just a, a high schooler, just got my license. And so he said, pay attention to what you're doing. I'm going to give you a warning. Be careful next time. And that was it. And so, by God's grace, I don't even know if my dad even knew about that story. Um, <laughs> uh, but maybe he does now. But anyway, you, you look at that, and he showed me mercy. He showed me mercy. He shielded me, shielded me from what I deserve, because I deserve the ticket. I deserve to pay it and whatever came with it. But it was only by his mercy. As Christians, we need to remember that we fully deserve God's wrath. We fully deserve God's wrath. But it's only because of 100% of God's doing that he shielded us from that if we are in Christ. And we can have eternal life. And we don't have to have any of that judgment or punishment that we deserve. But we fully deserve it. It's God's mercy is one of his attributes. The second one that we see here is because of his great love. Great love. That word is in the Greek, agape. Agape love. Letter B. Love. We need to understand what God's love is. Agape love is, 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 is the, the highest love that we have. That's a, a God-like love. That's the love that God gives. God is love. That's agape love. That's his faithful and committed love that he gives to us. We need to understand that his love is at the highest level. And he's given his love to us by sending his son. And we often get his love distorted. Even Christians do. Christians and non-Christians. We have a, a misunderstanding of God's love. And that causes us to have a low view of God. And that shows up at times when we question God's love for us. When things are going wrong in our life, we can say, man, does, I, I, does God love me? Because I have this cancer, because, uh, you know, my financial situation is, is, is in as much turmoil as it is in, because that my marriage isn't great, does, does God love me? But what we have to constantly go back to and remind ourselves is look at the cross. There's God's love for you because you didn't deserve anything that you have. But he sent his son for you. And when we remember that great love that he has for us, that he's given us eternal life when we deserve death. That he's given us light when we deserve pure darkness. When we have that in order, then even if we get to that place where we question God's love, we get right off of that. Because we remember how great his love is for us. Taking us from death to life. Only by his mercy. Only by his love. Only by his grace. We see here. By his grace. Letter C is grace. We need to understand God's grace. 
And oftentimes we, we put these two words together, grace and mercy, grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And they, they're similar, but they're different. And we need to understand the difference in order to fully understand God's character, his attributes. Because grace is different than mercy. Grace, if you look at grace, you want to simplify it, G for grace, G for gift. It's God's gift to us. We didn't deserve it, but God gave us a gift of eternal life. His grace towards us. He, gave us. he gives us gifts all throughout our life that we don't deserve. That is his grace, undeserved favor towards us. Mercy, again, mercy keeps us from the things that we do deserve. We deserve everything that's lined up for us. All the punishment, all the, his mercy shields us from that. His grace is a giving, is a gift for us that we don't deserve. We hear the word grace period, even if, again, we, our, our common language, and oftentimes we hear the word grace is typically dealing with uh, when your bills are due. <laughs> you have a grace period. A grace period. A grace period, your, your bill is due on the first, and they give you a grace period, the second, third, fourth, and till the fifth before they start to charge interest on that, on that bill, right? Grace period is what we understand it as. But here's the thing about a grace period. The bill is due on the first. There's going to be some additional fees on the 5th. There's a grace period that they give you, but at the end of the day, that grace period, you still have to pay the bill. (laughs) The bill is still there. God's grace is much different than that. God's grace is, I'm taking care of this debt. You no longer have to worry about it because it's a free gift to you that I'm giving through salvation if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So God's grace is different from human grace. Human grace, we're expecting a payment. We're just, we're, we're extending it. God's grace is saying, you can't pay it. I'm freeing you from all death and penalty because of the finished work of Christ. Your debt is paid. It's finished. God's grace is different. God's grace is the highest. God's grace is something that you and I don't deserve, and it's much different than we can ever even imagine. But when we understand it, it helps us remember who God is and what he's done for us. Last one, letter D, jumping into verse 7 and grabbing this one. The measurable riches of his grace in kindness. Letter D, kindness. God's kindness towards us. His kindness, his mercy, his love, his grace, his kindness. Jot down this verse. To help us understand his kindness, Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Again, it has nothing to do with us. But Paul says, but according to his own mercy, right, shielding us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul is writing this pastoral epistle, pastoral letter to Titus to let him know how the church should function, right? Let him know how he should select leaders in the church. Let him be reminded the foundation of the church is not about these holy and righteous people that you think you have. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done. That's the foundation in his loving kindness, his kindness towards us. Paul wants him to understand that the foundational understanding of Christianity is it's 100% God, 100% God's doing, nothing to do with us. We get that right. We get that. We start there. 
then we can understand everything else that God is giving us by his grace and blessing us with within our life. It's not about us. It's all about him. Just back on that testimony sharing thing real quick before we leave this point. Um, when, you, when you share your testimony, if somebody asks you, what are you thankful for? You start sharing your testimony. You're thankful for Jesus. You're thankful for your salvation. We need to remember that it's what God has done. Because oftentimes, even in our testimony, we, we try to polish up our testimony and our story and make it sound good. And so here's what I did, and here's the, what I studied, and here's the book that I read, and here, here's, here's a person that was in my life, and here, here's where I went from there, and all of that stuff. And, and, and oftentimes, that gets highlighted more than, but God. It's God. It's God's doing. And when our subject and when our main focus of our testimony is God, here's what it does. It takes that person that feels like they're too far gone, that feels like they can't be saved, that feels like they've done so much wrong, and it makes them realize it's never about me in the first place. It's only about God. My story is bad, but so is everybody else's story. But God. It takes that person that, that may have grown up in the church that may not have this dramatic testimony that we all seek and look for and say, wow, that's a big. It, it takes that, that person that they may have a, a life that was in the church growing up, that they got saved, but sometimes they're questioning themselves because they, they, they don't have the dramatic testimony. It allows that person to know it wasn't about you in the first place. Yeah, you're a sinner, but God, God's the one that's doing the work here. Don't focus so much on your story. It was God. Don't focus on so much of what are you going to do next month and next year and all that. Let's start with identifying it was only God that's doing this. And it's only God that's going to give us, by his grace, wisdom to continue to live out a life that's pleasing to him. But God. When we understand that intervention that God has given us in our life, that's a great start. But then... Paul also gives us back in our passage why he did it. It's important to know what he did, but you and I need to get aligned on why he did it. Why he did it. Here it is in our passage, Ephesians 2, last verse, verse 7. So that, so that, here we go, that, 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 that builds us up to why he did it. He did it so that in the coming ages, right, the future, he might show, he might demonstrate, he might put on full display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, believers, in Christ Jesus. Many of you have been to sporting venues, uh, and you go to these sporting venues, whether it be pros or college sometimes, and you see these retired jerseys. A retired jersey, of course, uh, you're not supposed to wear that number because it's, it, it's set apart. It's, it's put up in the rafters. That number is from an athletic, you know, using a biblical phrase, holy, right, set apart. You can't use that. It's untouchable. And oftentimes when people go there, if they can get close enough to these, these jerseys or maybe it's a statue or, or, or a trophy, whatever it is, people are taking pictures with it. And, I mean, they marvel over this retired jersey, this trophy, this whatever it is. But when you really think about it, the retired jersey, it's just a piece of material. I got, I'm taking a picture with a piece of material. It's not about the jersey. The jersey 
is a representation of the work that was done. The jersey is it's just a jersey. It could be the same jersey that you buy over here at Dick's Sporting. It's just a jersey. It represents something, though. It represents all the hard work. It represents all the production. It represents all the accolades and all the successes that a, a particular person has. It's not about the jersey. You and I as a Christian are set apart, same way, set apart, made holy, set apart from everybody else. And we, too, are a representation of the work that's done through us. Representation. It's not about us. Again, we're just a jersey, if anything, that people look at and marvel, but the work is all attributed to God. Our life as a representation, as a display, as a demonstration of God's power, his love, his mercy, all should point back to God. He gets the glory. We're just a, we're just a jersey that's set apart so people can see, but it's all about God and what he did, and the glory is given to him because he saved us so that he would get the glory. He would get the glory. That's point number two. Understand that God saving you is to bring himself glory. Bring himself glory. It's not about a life improvement option for you. It's not about uh, this, this, nothing else worked in your life, so now you'll try God. God wants the glory. It was never about you in the first place. It's all about him. Even your Christian life is all about him. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I want, I want all of us to understand. If we are his representation, we far too often, and I see this far too often, we have Christians that live depressed lives. Like, I mean, j just your tone and, and just your, your, your anger and your, your kind of Eeyore attitude is like, I I'm, 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 I'm feel like I'm missing out because I'm a Christian. We are God's representation. We should be the most joyful people here on earth. I don't care what's going on in your life because we have God's grace of eternal life. And so if we understand that we are his representation, we are the people that are set apart, that are people look at us and say, that's a man of Christ. Our lives should reflect that. Our lives should have joy. Our lives should have praise to him. Our lives should have thanksgiving. Our lives should have hard work. Our lives should have all of that because we know that we are a reflection of him. Our salvation is to glorify and magnify his amazing grace and kindness towards us, towards people, you and I, who were lifeless. Lifeless. And now we have eternal life. Remember, you are a representation of God's doing, his work. And we need to remember that even in the most challenging times of our life. Because when people look at you, they should see Christ. And they should want to be more like Christ, not say, I don't want that religion. They should say, no, I got to have what you have. Tell me a little bit more about that. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Paul tells Timothy, another pastoral epistle, right? He's, he's writing to these pastors as they are leading the church, Timothy leading the church in Ephesus. He's writing to them to, 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 to give them that foundational understanding of who God is, how we should think of him, how the church needs to think about God in his doing, in his work. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save 
sinners. First and foremost, he came into the world to save sinners. The gospel is about sinners, people that realize the bad news. Jesus tells us in Luke 5.32, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. The sick to repentance. That's who he's calling to repentance. So it takes you to understand who you are apart from Christ first, and then we know what God is doing. And then Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. You think you sin bad? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I got a story for you. Verse 16, but that very reason I received mercy. God shielded me, shielded me, so that in me as the foremost, as the worst sinner, the vilest sinner, the one that's done the, 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 I got the worst resume, Jesus Christ might display, that same word that we use in our passage, display, he might demonstrate the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe for eternal life. Paul's telling Timothy, my whole life, my whole life is on full display. Everything that's happening is on full display so that God can get the glory. So that people can say, wow, not wow, Paul, but wow, God. Wow, Jesus. Wow. Because remember, Paul had nothing to offer. It's not like God was like, ooh, yeah, you got some skills. I could use you on my team. None of that. He didn't. He didn't do that. He was killing Christians. He was on the complete other side. He was in opposition to Christianity, putting Christians in jail. So he was harming, if you will, Christianity. And God said, I'm going to use him. So much so when he started preaching the gospel, some of the Christians were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, this might be a, a plan for him just to kill us in the end. I, I, I don't know about all this. But Paul's saying, it's not about me. All this that I'm doing in my life, all glory goes to God. You and I need to be the same way. You and I need to understand that everything that's happening in your life, the job that God's given you, the, the, your spouse that God's given you, your kids that God's given you, grandkids that God's given you, financially what God's given you, the title that you have at work God's given you, everything that God's given you is for his glory. It's not about you. It's not about me. When people look at our life, they shouldn't say, man, you, you, you figured this thing out. If they're saying that, you need to say, no, I have not. But God has. God has. And this is only by his grace. God gives Paul all that he has. And he's taking him from the life that he lived so that God would get the glory. I mean, just think about that even now. Paul's life that we read, there's people that read about Paul and, and think, I'm a bad person. That's a good place to start. God can't save me. Wrong. Because you can look at somebody like Paul and say, here's somebody that was the extreme opposition to Christianity. And he was one of the most powerful influencers and impactful people for Christianity. Because he was good? No. But God. But God. God did all of that. God gets all the glory. There's people that come to Christ because of Paul still today. Because they see if God can save him, then he has limitless power and he can save me. Before I end, I want to, as I did last time, just 
reiterate this to those that have not surrendered their life to Christ. Understand, this is the gift that God has given us. You may not think your life is bad, but your life is bad. That might not be your favorite words to hear, but your life is bad. And when you come to the realization that by you, you deserve eternal punishment. But God, in his doing, you can have eternal life. What does that take? What do you need to do? You need to repent. And you need to put your faith in Christ. That, 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 that can happen here. You don't need to have some big presentation. You don't need to have uh, a special meeting or anything. That's you realizing, I'm bad. I have eternal punishment waiting for me. My life is not about me. In realizing, but God, he intervened for me. He showed me mercy and grace and love and kindness. And he's saying, if I just surrender my life to Jesus, who, who, who really runs my life anyway? He runs my life anyway. If I acknowledge him as my savior, if I acknowledge him as I need him because I have a sin problem that I can't deal with, I need divine intervention. You, you acknowledge that and you profess that. You proclaim that. You can have eternal life. God will, God will give you the rest. You don't need to figure it out. God will give you that wisdom through his word, through prayer, through being around other believers to understand what it means to live a life that is pleasing to him, that is on full display for him. There's a quote that I came across. Um, I've seen it before, but it's just a good reminder. It, it says this about the gospel. The gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That means one beggar, you ain't got nothing going on in the first place. You didn't cook up a meal. You didn't, you didn't do anything. You're just a beggar. You're telling another beggar, somebody else that's in the same position as you, apart from Christ, apart from knowing where the food is, where to find food, eternal food. That's all we are. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for decades, we must remind ourselves it's not about us. I have, I have nothing going on on my own but God. Right? The world may say that's weak, that's negative, that's, that's, that, that sounds like you're down and out, that sounds like you're depressed with your life. The world might say that. And I'll, I'll say, yep, yeah. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, by his grace that I've been saved, because of the kindness that he's given me, I got everything. I got everything. In my life, when you look at my life, you can look at my life and see that I have joy. And that my life is a demonstration, my life is a display of the amazing love. The amazing grace that God has given me, 100% of the doing, for salvation, to glorify him. When we understand that, we can continue to praise him and we can continue to shout how great he is. And your life will show that. But we under, need to understand how bad off we are, what God has done, and why he's done it. And let's do that and do that well as we go into this Thanksgiving season. Let's pray. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us eternal life. And although that might be something we can rattle off and just 
present the gospel which, without even thinking about it. Lord, I pray that we would think deeply about the implications of the gospel, the implications of what we, where we would be without the gospel and what you've done for us and why you've done it for your glory. And, Lord, help us to live our lives to glorify you more, that when people look at us, they may want to know more about Jesus because we understand what you've given us through Jesus Christ, through salvation, because of your grace and mercy. Help us to understand that and live that out well. In Jesus' name, amen.